0: Good morning everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. My name is Tim Harris. It's 10 o'clock. That means it's time for Tim with Tim. Uh, so good to be with you. Thank you for choosing to uh, read the Bible with me. We go verse by verse, right through the Word of God. We're in the book of Acts, wrapping it up, getting close to the end, you guys. But uh, It's so good. I love it. Acts chapter 22 is where we are today, the whole chapter. This is Paul's speech before the temple mob. Remember yesterday. Um, the, you know, the entire, you know, city it seemed like had come up in an uproar in the temple square. Uh, the uh, uh, Roman Tribune uh, intervened. Uh, Paul asked for permission to address the crowd. And Paul begins to address the crowd who is yelling, kill him, kill him, kill him. But Paul begins to speak in Aramaic, which is their native tongue. That's, um, again, we think, you know, we would think that, you know, Jews and Jesus and Paul's day would speak Hebrew, but they all spoke Aramaic. And so when Paul begins to speak the native tongue, everybody hushes uh, as if they can't believe he's speaking Aramaic. Um, I'm just kind of flabbergasted in this passage. All the people who, you know, who, who want to kill Paul or think they know Paul And don't seem to know anything about him. Remember that the Tribune already thought, you know, that he was some kind of Egyptian terrorist that he had seen on television. I mean, it's just like, what? I mean, you know, they seem to know nothing about him at all. And here they seem just, you know, blown away that Paul speaks Aramaic. Uh, but, But this is really an amazing speech. Paul is brilliant. Again, he speaks to the Roman and Greek. He turns right around and speaks to the crowd in Aramaic. Uh, he seems to know really, really well how to present himself to people. Remember, we said yesterday how Paul would say to the, to the Jews, i become a Jew, to the you know, Greeks, i become a Greek. I mean, Paul really has this ability to uh, identify with the people that he's with. Uh, not out of, you know, f- being false or in any way, you know, not having a strong sense of his own self. It comes from that place of strength and the incredible background and education that he has. He just knows how to present himself brilliantly. So notice this speech. I mean, it is a speech given to the Jews, to hostile Jews, and it is as brilliant as it can be at just simply trying to establish Paul himself as a man fully committed to his Judaism. Uh, they would have had no idea, some of them, who he was. Uh, they just heard that he's you know, against the Torah, against the temple, and against the Jewish people. Uh, Paul really doesn't seem to try to defend himself against the first two accusations because they're kind of ridiculous, but but this seems to be his defense against the accusation that he's against the Jewish people. He establishes himself as a very devout Jewish man, a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, brought up, educated. Uh, there was this... Uh, formula that you would find in Greek biographies. And it is that, uh, you know, born, reared, and educated. And, and so that's what Paul says. I was born in Tarsus. I was reared in Jerusalem, educated under Gamal. So again, he's using sort of a, an established formula for how you would you tell your story. Um, he's from Tarsus, but, but seems to have grown up in Jerusalem. I think that's part of what's emphasized here. He's nurtured in the holy city. He presents his early life, his early zeal, uh, as being a a life of of strict, you know, practicing Judaism, um, all the way to the point of being a persecutor of the members of the way. And again, Paul uses that language exclusively, especially when he's talking to the Jews, uh, members of the way. He mentions his enthusiasm you know during the persecution of Stephen i mean Paul is a completely dedicated Jew then when we get to verse 6 he goes into his telling of the Damascus road experience in the book of acts there are actually three different moments when we're told the story and it's really interesting the first version is of course in chapter is it 9 Luke chapter acts chapter 9 acts chapter 9 when Luke tells the story of Paul's you know, meeting Jesus, his conversion on the Damascus Road. That's the third person account. That's Luke's account. Here in chapter 22, we give the first sentence of Paul telling his own story. So basically, this is Paul's version of Acts chapter 9, which is really interesting. And then later in chapter 26, he'll tell the same story again to a different audience. Now, you can compare the three stories, and some people love to say, well, they don't even agree that they're different. Yeah. They agree that they're parallel. It tells the same story. The differences, if you'll notice, would be explained by the simple reason that, uh, again, uh, Luke tells it the first time, Paul tells it the second time, and then Paul tells it the third time. Paul adapts the story for his audience. And in this telling, this first telling from Paul's own mouth, Paul is addressing a hostile Jewish audience, and he's trying to establish his own commitment to Judaism. And so this particular version of the story uh, stresses Ananias' role. So notice that Paul really emphasizes Ananias' role, and Paul, in doing so, also uh, tries to highlight Ananias' Judaism. Now when Luke tells this story, Luke emphasizes Ananias' role in the Christian community. Ananias was a Christian. Um, and he was, but he's also a Jew. And so Paul emphasizes Ananias' Jewish identity, his Jewish faithfulness. And again, I, I, I think it's kind of cool. A couple of things stand out to me. First off, you'll notice in verse seven, when Paul's telling the story of Jesus addressing him, Jesus calls him Saul, Saul. Again, that's how the story went in chapter nine. But We haven't heard him called Saul in a long time. Uh, Again, he sort of becomes Paul once he moves into the Gentile mission. But here, uh, it's Jesus calling him by his Hebrew name. and, And I don't think that's an accident. Again, Paul is stressing his Hebrew identity here. So Jesus calls him by his Hebrew name. And then what is really kind of surprising, because Paul is trying to emphasize his his Jewishness. But notice how uh, he makes it very clear that it's Jesus the Nazarene. It's Jesus of Nazareth who is addressing him. But then in verse 10, uh, Paul turns right around and says, what should I do, Lord? Lord. Uh, Paul in no way tries to conceal his confession here. He thinks Jesus is God. He believes that Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh. And so Paul calls him Lord. Now notice that even this isn't the part of the story that makes them lose their mind and try to kill him again. You know, they sit right through this, which I think is really kind of interesting. It's not until he says the oh, word Gentile again where they all go crazy. Um, and again, I just find that kind of interesting. But again, beautiful here that that Paul in no To no measure does he in any way try to conceal the fact that he follows Jesus as God. I think that just underlines the fact that in Paul's mind, very sincerely, he sees no conflict whatsoever between his confession of the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, and his previous life in Judaism. He does not see that he has stopped being a Jew. He thinks he is the fullest kind of Jew because he has followed the Jewish Messiah, Jesus. And so Paul honestly sees no conflict whatsoever, and he just keeps thinking, if I can explain it to the Jews, if I can tell them who Jesus is, then they will accept Jesus and they will follow him too. I mean, that's just always Paul's dream, Paul's burden, uh, his passion that the Jews would accept Jesus. What is interesting here in the story is where... um, uh, verses 17 to 21, where Paul tells this other story, and we haven't heard this before, and I think it's kind of interesting because if Luke knew this story, I don't know why he hasn't told us before now, but apparently on after Paul's conversion, the first time he goes back to Jerusalem, he has this experience praying in the temple where he has a vision of Jesus and this commissioning to be the, uh, the, 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 the missionary to the Gentiles we haven't heard this story before, but it's really interesting. And again, I just encourage you to read verses 17 to 21 and then go back and read uh, Isaiah chapter six. Is it where you read the whole you know story, the vision that Isaiah has in the temple when he is commissioned? Because I think they're very parallel. Uh, if Paul has any motive here in telling this story, other than just telling the story, I think he's trying to emphasize the fact that, you know, He's being accused of desecrating the temple, and he's trying to explain, no, listen to this story. You know, this happened to me in the temple. Jesus appeared to me in the temple, and Jesus called me to go be the missionary to the Gentiles. And again, this isn't going to go over well with the unbelieving Jews, but, but again, it's a story in the temple. It's very much like Isaiah's story. It's a vision of the Lord uh, it is uh, a commissioning to go and 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 and, sh- and spread the message and also this warning that they won't listen. They're not going to listen. Uh, I think it's interesting how in all of those Old Testament, you know, commissioning stories, there's always this, you know, but I'm only a child or Moses who says, but I don't speak well. And Isaiah, you know, they all resist the calling. In this case of what Paul resists is the, is, is Jesus's, you know, command to leave Jerusalem? Because Paul's like, no, you know, no, I have a testimony to share that the Jews need to hear. But ultimately the Lord says, go, go, and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And when Paul says the word, Gentiles, they go nuts. You know, they start throwing dirt in the air, they're throwing off their coats, and we don't even know what any of this means. I mean, you think, oh, this must be a Jewish custom, but no, we don't know what they're doing. Are they throwing off their coats so they can, you know, roll up their sleeves to get ready to kill him? Are they throwing off their tearing their coats? You know, we don't know what they're doing—throwing dust in the air. That's not a thing, you know, unless there are any rocks to throw. So they're just throwing dirt at him. We don't, you know, i don't even know what that's about. That they've—they've they've lost their mind. So once more, the commander brings Paul inside. This time, he decides to give him a Roman scourging. You know, this isn't—this is much more brutal than when the Jews beat Paul with rods earlier. This—lots of people don't survive a Roman scourging. And just about the time they're about to start trying to beat a confession out of Paul, Paul speaks up. Now, let me remind you, It's not clear that the Roman soldiers would speak Aramaic. So we don't know if he just heard what happened other than the fact that Paul speaks in Aramaic, which they may not understand, and then the Jews try to kill him again. So now the Romans is trying to figure out what in the world this guy do. And so he's gonna try to beat it out of him. But then Paul speaks up again. It's funny, I mean, Paul could have brought this up at any previous moment, but it's this moment when he says, "Uh, I don't really think it's legal for you to beat a Roman citizen. I mean, that's what he says. I don't really think it's legal. It's not. It's specifically not legal. So this is why when the officers hear this, now they're afraid because they're in trouble. You cannot deprive a Roman citizen of his rights. And, and so then the commander says, yeah, you know, I, you know, I became a citizen back when they weren't just letting everybody be citizens. I had to buy mine. And Paul says, well, yeah, I was born a citizen, which is kind of superior. That's Paul, you know, just kind of like, boom, boom. Putting them in his place. I was born a citizen. Thank you. I didn't buy mine, you know, off the internet. I am a citizen, uh, which at this point is a very different story. Uh, they uh, automatically realize they can't. Beat Paul, they can't just do anything they want to do with him. So uh, at this point, the commander decides to send them back to the Sanhedrin. This is a Jewish thing. He really wants to try and make peace and get out of this obligation. And so they send Paul on, release him to stand for the Sanhedrin. That's where we pick up tomorrow. I mean, again, this is a long narrative of Paul being on trial. Uh, and we'll pick up with Paul tomorrow before the Jewish Sanhedrin. I, I love all this. And again, I know it goes into some deep stuff. Deep weeds, but uh, I, I think it's kind of really dramatic part of the narrative. If you didn't know what was going to turn out, you'd have no idea how it's going to turn out here with Paul. Uh, but uh, at, at any rate, I just remind you: uh, on every step of the way into Jerusalem, everybody warned him that the Spirit, you know, let him know this is what's going to happen. It's not going to go well for you, and it's not going to go well for him. But it's going to be a good opportunity for the gospel. So in Paul's mind, that's good. We all win if the gospel wins even as Paul begins to have his options narrowed. Uh, Anyway, we'll pick up here tomorrow. Chapter 23, verses 1 to 35. Once more, the whole chapter, all of chapter 23 tomorrow, saw before the high council. Uh, I love you guys so much. I'll see you in the morning. Have a great Wednesday. It's a beautiful day. Uh, Enjoy it and stay in the word. I'll see you in the morning. Lord, we'll end ten o'clock for Tim with Tim. I love you guys.